get sick like right before we recorded this because I kind of feel like you can tell. Welcome back to Gaming with Gage and Friends, the podcast where your friends talk about role-playing games. My name is Gage and my friends this week are... My name's Wayne. This is Dot. And this is Chris. We're going to start off with a Discord spotlight and going over some of the finer points of our Discord and why you should join it. We're also going to have a discussion topic where we're going to talk about breaking the fourth wall. And at the end, we're going to do a quick call for questions slash letters to the editor, kind of asking all of you to chime in, help support the show. Give us content and be a machine for us, but in like a fun way, not in like a Supreme Corporation kind grinding of you, Grinding you down machine. <laughs> exactly. We, w- we would like to grind you down and sell you for parts. <laughs> If you're not already in the Discord server, you can find a link in our show notes that'll take you there. And some of the things that we're doing there, we're doing Swan, which you've heard us talk about, I think, every week so far, which is a great way to get in and kind of get your feet wet with Savage Worlds or just have a regular night to kind of try stuff and experiment with stuff. New players wanting to learn Savage Worlds, this is a a very good, safe opportunity to do so. Because yes, there are a number of experienced players in there, but... The welcoming factor is extremely high. It doesn't matter if your knowledge level is zero because it is, A, it's an easy system to catch on to, but also everyone there is is happy to have new players. We understand where Savage World sits in that hierarchy, and so increasing the library of players who have been exposed to it is always a good thing. I also think it's good to play under a variety of GMs, and it's a great chance to see how different GMs can run different settings or even the same setting potentially there's also a high percentage of teaching gms i've been referred to as a savage worlds evangelist uh, multiple times i know chris i know you do the same thing there's a lot of gms in there who are used to running for non-savage worlds players and kind of getting them to speed so it's a great way to do that yeah i have often referred to myself as a collector of gms because that's what i do and swan knights have actually exacerbated that quite a bit in addition to uh, Swan Knights, which are a great opportunity to get in, I run my own home game there. We have you know an LFG channel where if you're looking for games. If you met some people and you were like, hey, Gage, I would like to be running, I don't know, OSC on a random Wednesday, <coughs> Chris, just stay away from Mondays, let me know. I'm more than happy to build out categories and channels for you to give you the opportunity to do that right now. Three of the four of us on this call, I mean, three and a half of the four of us are all in a campaign together running through East Texas University's Degree as a Horror campaign. Everyone's giving me a look. I'm saying three and a half because Chris jumps into the GIF channel and tries to figure out what we were doing uh, after every (laughs) single one of our sessions. And there's also channels for uh, different interests. You can see what I'm building with wood because that's something that I do. We have a channel called the Idea Dumpster, uh, which is a great place to take all the stuff Chris doesn't have time to work on. Uh, there's a channel, there is in our Discord currently a channel that is just there to remind us to bother Wayne that he has to run Savage Alpha Flight once Savage.us gets updated. So there's a lot of fun uh, kind of variety there to come in and sink your teeth into as well. as It's a very fun-sized community. It's that It doesn't feel overwhelming, but you feel like you can actually get to know the people who are chatting. Yeah, one of my favorite channels on there is the Garbage Television channel where we talk about tv we talk about movies we talk about youtube whatever is interesting movie trailers it's big enough that the conversation is always happening but it's not so big that you don't get to know people 
Yeah, it is. And and it's nice too, just because A, you're usually turned on to shows that you are not familiar with because there is a variety of tastes in there. And I think that that's also very helpful. It has gotten me to get hyped about watching certain shows that I've never watched, but people have often said, oh, you should watch the show because a lot of you guys talk about that in there. And it's, yeah, that's a great channel. And you mentioned the gift channel. And if there was one thing universally as gamers that we could agree upon that was really, really good that came out of the pandemic. Those of us who did engage in playing online games on Discord, having a gift channel to upload gifts as the game progressed has been both probably one of the greatest things to happen to RPGs since the invention of them in general. And in some ways, the absolute worst thing to happen to them because you can get so damn distracted in looking for gifts that you're not listening to the game that's going on there. But it has been fun for me when you mentioned the ETU game to go in there either on the night that you guys are gaming or the day after and look at the progression of gifts on the timeline. And I can put together at least half of the story, you know, of maybe what happened or at least have a, have a, some sort of broad guess. And it's actually kind of fun. I love going in after a Swan game. I'm not in and just doing that same thing, except I don't have the skill that you have, Chris, of piecing it together because it is eerie how good you are at that. I have to give you guys some compliments in the fact that, and, and this actually probably is really more of a, I think more of a compliment to Andrew than anybody whose gift game is on just a completely other level than anybody I've ever encountered. I don't know pretty where incredible. he finds them. I don't Lord know where, gifts. yeah. You know, and maybe he makes them in the secret gift factory and just doesn't say anything because he's modest. <laughs> I, because he's Canadian. I, I don't you. know that. Well, yes, to a certain <laughs> extent, but I'll at least take credit for the ones that I've made. But they're almost always perfect. And sometimes it's very hard to find the perfect gift. And yet, Andrew seems to do that with a higher percentage than anybody I've ever met. I feel like Andrew's the biggest sales pitch for the Discord because he won't come on the podcast. I've asked him before. He has no interest. So if you want the full Andrew experience, you have to be on Discord. And then he's yeah. there all the time. You can talk to him whenever. Yes. <laughs> and everyone's like, who is Andrew? And Andrew's the best. That's all you need to know. Andrew's the best in his gift game is next level. 100% fact. Yeah. Yeah. And I have played so many more one shots online since joining the, uh, the server, because I think a lot of servers have the looking for game channel, but it just seemed easier here. And it was easier to find games that sounded interesting. There's also a channel that was originally put together for a product. Hopefully gauge will eventually release that has been co-opted <laughs> for future. Just pictures of pets. <laughs> yes yes pet pals pet pals will ride again so pet pals was originally about the the product i was working on it has become a pet channel and baby makes three was originally it was a podcast we did five or six episodes of and has now become just where people post pictures of their kids it's pretty wonderful i love it i'm biased but come on in check it out and if you hate it you can just leave we don't have that annoying thing that says that you left so it's not like that. There's no leave notification for everyone to then find you later and shame you. So come on <laughs> in and test the water. It's fine. Transitioning over to our discussion topic. So this, oh, I'm so excited because I think sometimes it can be very, um, very much all of us kind of feeding off each other being like, yes, of course, we all, we all know Savage Worlds is the best system ever. We all know that the way that I run it is the way I want it. Like we all know these things, uh, but this is a t fun topic where we can have a little bit of disagreement on. And we're talking about breaking the fourth wall. This is not making meta fourth wall jokes a la Deadpool, a la She-Hulk. This is 
when the GM kind of pauses for a moment, reveals something behind the screen with the players, and then continues. An example could be, hey, what you guys just did, very, very cool, was not prepared for it. Let's take a quick five-minute break, and we're going to come back to this all the way up to a more extreme example of just being like, hold on, hold on, hold on. What do you guys want to do? This makes no sense with everything you've told me up to this point. I have no idea what you're doing. I think, Chris, you probably personify the doing this less. I probably do this the most. I think, Wayne, you're probably sitting somewhere in the middle. And, Dot, you have the player the player perspective here. For now. So, Chris, do you want to start off with your incorrect opinion? Yes, I'd be more than happy to. I do my absolute best to never break that fourth wall when it comes to story or, and I'm going to pronounce this word incorrectly uh, all the time, so I'm going to rely on the rest of you to pronounce it correctly. Verisimilitude. Uh, vers- verisimilitude. Thank you. I am I am probably an unhealthy slave to that, to the point where it has sometimes in games become, I don't want to call it a detriment because it, I think that that's not the correct term, but I will add elements and details to unimportant NPCs to the point where some players will interpret them as being important NPCs that this is the person who clearly is a plot giver. This is the person who's clearly matters in a certain way and they're not my quest, my mission, my objective, or one of my objectives when I GM is to make everything feel real in that game. Like, you know, I just, I want, I want those minuscule details. I want those little bits uh, there with NPCs that really ultimately aren't, they don't matter or they might detract from uh, the game, Uh, but I want them in there because creating something that feels real is is very important to me and so to break the fourth wall with a player choice question whatever is really something i really struggle to make sure doesn't happen i have many times used the trick where they'll ask what is this person's name or what is this person's job and I will fake looking at my notes behind the screen and pretend to be like, oh, hold on, let me find it. I know I've got it here somewhere. I'll break the wall in that capacity as if I'm looking for the answer and I'm, I will 100% make it up because I don't want them, I don't want them, I don't want the players to think that this person doesn't have any value. I also tend to not break the fourth wall as much as possible. In my case, it's a lot more of just this lack of self-confidence of myself i don't want the players to know that i don't know what's going on i want to have this illusion that i'm always in complete control and i am very much an improv gm but i want my players to think that i'm a high prep gm that i have all this in the notes when in reality that npc that is now the biggest most important thing in the campaign they thought his name was funny so now he's important Mm -hmm. I didn't know he was there until they asked me for a name. And so, yeah, I change a lot on the fly. And I don't want my players to realize that because in the at the end of the campaign, everything fits together and it looks like this tapestry and how everything is weaved in and out. And I want them to think that I did that from the beginning and made this super web when no, I built the train tracks as I was going. That gif of the dog from uh, Wallace and Gromit when he's throwing out the, the rails in front of him yeah. as he's speeding along. Absolutely. Well, and it works for me. I'm comfortable doing that. Not in one shots. In one shots, I need to do a lot more prep. 
but for a campaign. I'm very comfortable doing it. And my players don't know the difference between the days that I came and I didn't have a single line written and the days that I came and I had a whole sheet full of information because I've asked them after the fact and they've got no clue the differences. But, Teach me your ways. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't want anyone to know that. And because of that, I really struggle with the idea of, you know, breaking that fourth wall and telling them something like that or telling them something isn't important because if they're interested in it, then it wasn't important and I make it important now, mm -hmm. even if I didn't plan it. I do have a slight side tangent to this and I do have to shout out Eric a little bit and push this into RGF territory because he's done this a number of times and this is where the many Jerry's of RGF becomes just the funniest thing to me because he renames NPCs the same name in the same campaign. I was giving another listen through and realized, why are all of our NPCs named Jerry? There's like six. <laughs> and just really quick for, for anyone who who's listening, who doesn't know what RGF is, I, I think that's probably a very small group of people. Uh, but Resting Glitch Face is a uh, all-female Shadowrun actual play podcast uh, that Dot is a cast member on. It is an audio-verse award-winning podcast. It is a wonderful podcast. It's the only Shadowrun podcast I've listened to more than one episode of. So oh, that's okay. uh, yes. Also agreed on that. <laughs> and they had an I, incredible I one episode where they ran ETU. The best episode is, I think, what, what most people refer to it as. I think Eric is an example of a GM who owns this. Yes. Exactly that thing of, yeah, you brought it up. I made it a thing. He does the, you tell me. I will yep. say that oh. that when done well is good, but I played under a GM that I wanted to experience the world and explore and discover things. And the GM overdid it. Every time I was successful, he would, okay, well, what'd you find? I don't know what I found. Tell, I want to discover the mystery. I will say the same GM you're talking about is Chad from Fear the Boot. And I will say <laughs> yes, he has said many a time that the the campaign itself is so bad compared to the way you remember the campaign. They're two very different things. And I think that for me, that idea of beating yourself up to make sure make it look like you always have everything prepped, you're always in control, you are the GM, and you are delivering this flawless product to your players is like a waste of energy because the way they remember it is so different than what actually happened. Not if you take good notes. Fair. I've once had the players break the fourth wall for me. Before I passed my dice curse over to Dot. Yeah, thanks thank, for that, by the way. Thank you for taking it, by the way. But back when I rolled horribly, I was running a game and the players looked up at me and said, it's okay, you can start fudging your dice against us. Please do, feel free. That's amazing. Because of how consistently bad I rolled. I want to jump back to the whole you tell me thing. Seeing as how I'm on that that almost extreme end, that concept of having the players describe things that are in this that are in this tavern. That was such an anathema to me. Like the idea of that being a thing that I would ever allow in my games was was just an utterly foreign concept because for me that's an example of this setting this locale doesn't matter because the players are describing certain details inside here that means that 
I haven't done done so. I haven't now made that thing real. Now, I have gotten over that for the most part, but it still is a difficult thing. But it's also an opportunity for you to have that bit of refresh. If you are struggling, if you are stumped with where you're at, pushing that onto the players, you tell me what you see, and then you building off of it with your bit of improv counterbalances. You're 100% correct. You are. And I realize, and I will fully admit that in this, in the context of this, I am absolutely wrong in my approach on that because... All right, episode over. Yeah. This is acknowledged as defeat. <laughs> and the reason why is because I'm recognizing the trust dynamic in a different way. In what you're describing is really the much more correct and proper way. By allowing the players to describe, I am trusting them that they are going to keep their sense of versatility. Wait, Gage, do it again. Verisimilitude. Yeah, sometimes it's just a word like the, I just can't quite get that. But so that trust dynamic that they are not going to break that sense and that they're what they're going to describe, they're going to recognize as just as real as I am. And it is weird to, through all the years that I've been jamming, to realize that that's really what's going on here. There is that fear if you're sitting at a table with players who you don't know and who you may or may not necessarily trust to stay immersed in that way that you could pull back from that whole idea and that whole concept. One thing I had to learn and teach myself, I don't really think visually. Like I don't visualize things. I visualize concepts, lists, details. I can write visualized, but that takes time and effort. I'm not as good on the spot with it. One of the things I've had to do is if I have a player that I know knows an area or a subject better than me, let's say they're going to visit a botanical gardens when they go into that location i'll look to that player okay you know a lot more about botanical gardens than me describe what everyone would be seeing i'm willing to break the fourth wall in that way for something i see as a weakness in myself that inability to think visually i want to jump in here a little bit i've i've let you all have your say no i'm just i, I come in so hot <laughs> when you do this just know at home, I'm not always like this. I don't know what it is about putting a microphone in front of my face. I get very, I, I get very feisty. I don't know where that comes from, mm. but it, it does like, yes, yes, you do. <laughs> you embrace the power of the mic. Yeah. I do. My microphone's red. It makes me feel strong. Anyway, going back to this idea of you tell me, I go a step further. I'm like, what are you looking for? People will be like, what's in this room? I do not like that question from a player. So if you ever play in my game, don't say what's in this room. Say, is this in this room? If you play in my games, you'll notice that most of the players who have played with me will, will not say what's in this hallway. They'll say, is there a fire extinguisher? And the answer is probably yes. There's a trend in RPGs to kind of abdicate the role and responsibility of the game master. That is not what I am advocating. I do think that it's a different position being a game master than a player. When we're going into these situations, where is that question coming from? Is there a chandelier in this tavern? is almost always because I would like to swing from the chandelier. And as a GM, yeah, of course you can swing from the chandelier. Just because I don't have chandeliers in here doesn't mean that this place is more or less important. It kind of comes back to this idea of I'm playing with friends or people I at least enjoy. And the goal of us coming together is to have a good time. I feel as the GM, more of that responsibility is on my shoulders. I don't think that that's an equal weight. But that's the goal, right? And I think what it comes down to is I don't see the players walking away going, Gage had it all figured out as more beneficial to the enjoyment of the players as me going, 
What are you looking for? You want a chandelier? Are, are you going to swing from the chandelier and hit this goblin in the face? Because that is awesome. You don't need to roll. Let's just do it. Let's do it, guys. Let's all do it. You know what? Let's do... We're going to do a dramatic task. You guys need to set him up to do this because it's going to be epic and you're definitely getting thrown out of this bar for life. That, to me, it means more for the players to walk away from than whatever I have prepped or prepared, whatever is behind my curtain, feeling like I had this planned from the beginning. That doesn't matter to me. And this goes from little things like that to bigger things like I have multiple times stopped a game and said, hey, real quick, you're going off the rails. Totally fine. I'm with you. This is a cool idea. This is not what you said you wanted in session zero. I want to double check. Is this what you want? Because if so, we're going full steam ahead. I'm with you. Let's do this together. But if you just got caught up in the moment and you really want to focus on what we were talking about before, this is a great time to pump those brakes. Just to further the fact that my mindset is wrong, <laughs> as a player, I appreciate that from a GM. Yeah. I want a GM to tell us, you guys have been trying to figure out how to get into this room. All it is is it's a locked broom closet. There's nothing useful in there. You don't need to spend the next hour trying to get into this room. I really appreciate that. There are games I've been in where I would have really appreciated the GM doing just what you described where we went down a completely different path than what we set out we wanted to do, we never did in the campaign because we got doing something else and the GM went along with it, which is more than likely what I would do. I would go along with it. I'm completely hypocritical that I hold myself to that and I have that thought process, but as a player, I want the GM to do that. When you think about the day afterwards, if you're describing to someone like what happened last night at the gaming session, you talk about all of the cool things you did. You don't talk about the fact really that everything seems so real and we had everybody had all this incredible amount of detail. You talk about all of the cool stuff and you don't even talk about really how it got there unless it was the course of action. And there's no usually recounting of this person offered this and this person offered that and the GM offered this and this player offered that. It's just the story itself. And that's that's really ultimately the important part. The only time that those individual roles come up is like you pointed out, Gage, if like you literally stopped, had this discussion and then pick things up. Or if somebody, you know, did something that was very much out of the ordinary to kind of get things back on track or you just spend the entire night rolling failures and then that ends up being the topic yeah. of conversation. Exactly. Or yeah, or the, or oh, the I don't seem to do that anymore since I've started gaming. With I don't know. There was the alligator incident. Yeah, you're welcome. Wayne. Let's not forget the alligator incident. That it, was a night. <gasps> uh, it was the alligators. That was the night. That's what did it for me. Oh man. And I will say, so the same way that I go into this saying I'm playing a game with my friends and I want my friends to be happy. I'm sure there's an element of my friends are also being kind to me. I hear less constructive slash negative feedback about breaking the fourth wall and more when I don't. You know, when we were talking ahead of this episode, kind of prepping it, you know, Dot, you brought up an ETU session where I didn't break the fourth wall and Andrew, the the aforementioned amazing, wonderful Andrew, actually from, I think, our rapport just playing together stopped and said, hey, Gage, is this really important or can we go to the party? And I was like, oh, you can totally go to the party. This was like a random card draw. It was really fun and you guys are in trouble with the cops again but yeah you can totally just go to the party if you want to blow <laughs> that's the kind of feedback i hear more often is when i walk away from that we are very self-selected in this hobby of the people who come back to play game two are the people who liked game one so you end up with a group of players who like the way you run things so that could be part of the problem as a player in that session i can say the whole time i'm thinking i just want to get to the party but gage has prepped all of this information about 
this side thing, so I need to solve it for him because I don't want to let him down. Feel free to let me down. I don't care. <laughs> if that was me, if if I was in, in your spot, this whole dog thing, I, that's something that I would still hang on and use later. You say it was not important at this time. To me, that would be something that would definitely be be important, regardless. If, if I need it, maybe I mean, not necessarily at that at that moment because the focus might be really be the party. I could never admit that. No, nah, this is this is just a random thing that doesn't really matter. I couldn't do that. It would still it would have to matter at some point. It's like the whole what is that Chekhov's gun? We're doing something with it, so it has to matter at some point. I I hear you. If I need it, I'll come back to it. But odds are very good I don't need it. So this is a perfect example of this session. Here's what I have prepped. This character's long-lost girlfriend going to school in Canada is going to show up, and there's going to be a party, and there's going to be drama. That is what this session is about. How do we start to make sure the characters are moving and there's some RP lubrication that people are already in character going. How do we create some tension? There was a very fun moment where Dot's character, who kind of had a crush on the guy who had the girlfriend, went with him to go help him do something. So now we have them showing up with her driving his truck to the house. These scenes were there to break the ice of the night, get us moving. This is a setting where weird stuff happens. So in this, and here's a content warning, it's a little grotesque and it does involve an animal, but a dog walks up and drops its own heart out of its mouth into the players, at the player's feet. Why? Because that's how these crazy people wrote ETU. And that's a random card draw in ETU. Ed and Preston wrote this amazing book and it's wonderful. It got them in trouble with the police, call from the animal shelter being like kids are doing satanic rituals. We got to have those scenes but that's not what the session was about. The session was about all of this interpersonal right. drama. So the goal is to get there. So while it's nice to have a, a dead dog in your back pocket when you need it, it, I didn't need it. So it gets left behind. Because you know what? Everyone walked away from Andrew, again, in that one, said, thank you so much for running a game that was focused on this RP. This is what we've been wanting and missing. The point that also needs to be made there is a testament to your GMing. Because you left the whole thing with the dog open in a way we can go back to that there's still detective bishop that you know the cop that was interrogating my character now knows that my character is involved with these four yahoos and has been argumentative with the police there's more pull to that even though we still wanted to focus on all the rp the remainder of the session sure and that's and that's where that those scenes have value i'm not saying they're valueless but if you ask me the question hey is there any reason we can't Fast forward to the party scene that we're all excited about. Absolutely not. Let's do it. This was a random card draw. Sadly, so much of my GM style is, I don't know. Here's three random things. We'll figure it out. As long as the characters, <laughs> That's very true. as long as the characters are really, really strong, the rest is easy. But Chris, I don't think you would have done that. If someone said they wanted to fast forward, I think you probably would let them because I know you like your players. But I think that would have been a hard thing for you to stop and go. Yeah, this this isn't a huge deal. We can just breeze past it. Where I do, where I'm much more loose with the idea of breaking the wall in that sense is uh, con events and one shots. Mm -hmm. and, and that has everything to do with time. You know, campaign play, it is definitely, it's a difficult thing because of the 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 need to create a reality. But one shots are, are, are a very different kind of reality. 
there's been many times when running a one shot where, you know, where I will essentially break the wall and I'll say, thanks to the power of GM hand waving, the rest of these creatures fall, you know, to their deaths and we're able to move on to the next scene because we need to get going. You know, this combat has gone on too long. You guys have, you know, delayed too much. And I know I want to have them have a good payoff with the final encounter, which is the one that really matters. But we need to get through this semi-important encounter as well. I have played in one shots with you where you have said, you know, okay, if we had more time, there's a couple more encounters you would have had. They're not important. So we're going to go straight past them to what is important. So I think what I'm hearing is, Chris, I need you to run a mini campaign for me so I can see what what a campaign Huss is like. Maybe run a little three to six, six to nine session. It's okay. So it's interesting that you say that because nice. Yeah. Um, that, in a certain sense, is a relatively new concept for me. I'm used to multiple month campaigns. So just many, many, many sessions down the line. The closest I've gotten to something that would be considered a mini campaign was the the Savage Battle Lords, which was literally, it was three sessions. It was a, a, a nice, short, concise arc that made sense and had a good beginning, a good middle, and a good end. And I liked the way that felt. And so the whole, and I know that you are generally in that six, you know, six to nine, six to 10 session campaign. That to me is, is once I played in that field a little bit, I realized that, the, oh, this might be kind of a fun space to, to explore. And so, yeah, actually, it's something I'm actually looking forward to trying. And so it sounds like you, you have agreed and written your name in blood, and we can assume <laughs> that that's going to happen very soon. Yeah. I just see you already uploaded the PDF to the Discord. Yep, there you okay, go. I'll, Here's I'll, a sign-up sheet. Here. There you yeah. go. Um, Very nice. Okay. I will say our ETU game is on like session 11, <laughs> which, yeah. which for most people is like, you're like halfway through, right? And I'm like, man, I can't wait for this to be over. There's like three sessions left, three, four sessions left. And I'm like, yep. man, can this be done? Andrew's going to run some World War II stuff. And then we're going to go maybe do a Who's Agatha game. Like, I've just got so much stuff that I want to do. It's like... Well, I think part of it is it's also an every other week game. True. It makes it so, last longer. Even though it's 11 sessions, it's lasted the time that would have been 22 sessions if it were weekly. I like to play in about the six-month time frame. I run six-month story arcs typically. I don't like to do longer because when I started gaming, I had too many games that never reached a conclusion. Yep. Mm-hmm. So that's usually somewhere in the 25 to 30 sessions for... A campaign for me really quickly i'm going to add to our our list of topics we can talk about uh the benefits of different campaign styles because people who know me know that i am a big advocate of this six to ten structure for two reasons number one i have adhd i have a lot of good ideas that are really cool and fun and i want to sink my teeth into them and number two i would rather have a campaign end after six sessions where everyone's like man i wish we had more time but that was cool than have everyone be like are we going to get together this month for a year Resting Glitch has been, I mean, aside from 2020, we're working on four years mm. in the same campaign. <laughs> yeah, that's why you need to stop it and just start doing the same cast in a campaign of ETU. Moving to <laughs> the, our next segment really quickly as we as we start to kind of wrap up. It's just this general call for questions. So if you take our advice and join the Discord, which you absolutely should, you'll find in there, there is a channel for topics and guest ideas where you can go in and kind of tell us, you should have this person on the show, they're really rad. Hey, I would love for you to talk about this. You can send in gaming stories if you want, and we can kind of read these uh, these stories on the air, kind of talk about them, dissect them, commiserate with you, or or provide advice, heaven forbid. I mean, I don't, I don't know that you should take advice from any of us. Maybe Chris. 
But any questions you might have, Savage Worlds or other games, sure, other people play other games, right? Any questions that you have, go ahead and put that in. And that, like I said earlier, would just let us grind you for resources to fuel this machine and have uh, some content going forward for, for future stuff, as well as give you a chance to kind of contribute and guide some of the show content, which I think is pretty cool. All right. Thank you everyone so much for being here. My name is Gage. I've had so much fun with all of our friends here and we will see you next week.